You are listening to the Practice Growth Podcast with Sean Terrell. Welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Terrell, and really excited about this week's discussion and our guest, Morgan Hammond. Morgan is a certified public accountant and president of HDA Accounting Group, which is a dental-specific CPA firm based in Denver, Colorado. And HDA Accounting Group works with more than 500 dental practice owners across the United States. Morgan, great to have you on the Practice Growth Podcast. Thank you for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So the place I always like to start with every guest is just with a little background and a little context for the audience. Uh, Just to kind of get us started, could you share a little bit just about how you reached this current point of your career? Yes, certainly. You know, I took the, I guess, the long route to becoming a CPA. Um, My my whole family CPAs. My dad's a CPA. My brother's CPA. All my cousins are CPAs. I was the rebel um, after undergraduate. I went into the Navy. So I was a Navy uh, fighter pilot for F-18s for about 11 years, Wow, which was a ton of fun. Uh, but then my wife and I were wanting to get a little more settled down. So I had to uh, had to switch gears. So went back to school, got a master's in accounting and kind of joined the, the family fold. And my, you know, my dad uh, had been in practice for, I mean, my, my whole life. And, and we were just both at the point where we, we wanted to start something new. So we co-founded the firm in 2009 and with the intent of just being a, a business-oriented CPA firm. Uh, and, you know, just through some, some luck and circumstance, uh, got involved in the dental industry, very quickly decided it was a really good fit for us. And so we just went all in. And and have focused on private dental practice owners um, for the last you know ten years plus. Interesting. Before we even get into the CPA aspect, just a, a quick quick follow up on being a fighter pilot in the Navy eleven years. That's such an interesting background. And uh, what was that experience like? And how did that perhaps uh, prepare you for your your current role? Yeah. So I. You know, it started early. Uh, the Navy paid for my undergraduate, so I was a Navy ROTC, and so um, they, they paid for my degree. And then the day I graduated college, I was commissioned as an officer and off into to flight school. And you know, the the being a pilot, it was very rewarding. And I'm fortunate fortunate I still get to fly today, but uh, more, much more low key. <laughs> but um, you know, when I look back on my my experience in the Navy, I think you know, there's a couple key things I learned that translate very well to, I think, business ownership. And one is just like total accountability. You know, when you're, what is pounded into your head from day one is that you know, if you're having a bad day or things don't seem like they're going their your way, you know, like you look in the mirror first, like it's nobody else's fault. And, and that, if you translate that into business ownership, uh, it, it allows you to kind of always get, get better. And so the, I, I, kind of credit that as a key to my success a little bit. It's just that, that upbringing in the Navy. Um, what I get asked all the time, like, you know, fighter pilot to CPA, like what the heck, you know, like (laughs) a big leap, right? And yeah. And I, you know, honestly, like my, my passion is, you know, is business and, and leadership, you know, systemization, uh, you know, using data, uh, to to help have a successful like organization like that, I'm very passionate about that. Of course, you know the debits and the credits and the taxes and all that. I you know I'm familiar with that as a CPA, but 
uh, in terms of being just the actual practitioner, we have many talented, like hardcore accountants, you know, in mm-hmm. our firm that work. And, and what's a really good, what I enjoy doing is the more, uh, and I call it advising rather than consulting, because in our niche, you know, I don't want to hold myself out there as a dental consultant, but know a lot about practices, particularly, you know, when it comes to operations and interpreting data to help make sure that owning that practice is as financially rewarding as it should be because you know as we all know it's it's challenging to own a business and there has to be that reward uh at the end of the day so so that's that's kind of where where i'm coming from what i'm what i'm passionate about it's uh the cpa you know getting that sitting for that when i was a full-grown adult in there with all the kids was pretty kind of interesting (laughs) but all yeah i love what i do it's it's been an incredible journey and and still like my dad is still very active partner in the practice and so we've been able to do this together and we brought in a third partner courtney about three years ago which is awesome so there's three owners like all really good business partners um and so yeah it's about kind of the the journey if you will I'm interested a little bit more. You formed the 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 firm, I think you said, with your father in 2009, and said that mm-hmm. very quickly you went all in on dentistry, more or less. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I guess gave you confidence to do that? Because the idea of niching down into a specific uh, profession is mm-hmm. is becoming more and more popular in a lot of professions, mine included. Right. Um, but you know, I don't have the 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 12 year look back, but I think that sure. was probably more of a brave brave step then, maybe than it it's more common today. Yeah. Yeah, it was because I mean it. it all, I mean it was like a startup, you know. Um, so when I'm visiting with a lot of our startup docs, you know, I you know I did that too. Um, and it was a bit of opportunity and luck and, and taking advantage of it. You know, we uh, just through, uh, you know, one of the the CPAs my my dad had known his nephew was a a, a doctor named Scott Luna who, who's pretty well known, you know, the breakaway practice. And um, so we started doing his work. And I got invited and, and we really hit it off. And so he invited me to his seminar. So I, I went, I was a guest at his seminar for a number of years. And that's how we really got into the dental space uh, and decided very quickly. It just, it was just a really good fit. Um, so, but it was a leap of faith because, you know, there were times like anybody, you, you want the work, but if it, if it wasn't within our scope, we just didn't take it. We knew that was the, the right way to build the firm. So to turn away general accounting work, I guess, early on and focus more on what you saw as the long-term reward. Absolutely. And that continues to this day because I, I get asked all the time, like, well, why don't you do like veterinary and, and branch out to some other verticals? And I'm like, because I, I don't want to. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know those. I, they don't have hygienists. Like, I don't know about those. Like, I know everything about a dental practice. I don't know anything about these other these other industries, nor, nor do I want to. We have, we have plenty to keep us busy. And I think when you're, when you're just laser focused in, in a very particular niche, um, it's just we're so much more capable than helping, like very quickly helping people because we've just we've seen it inside right. and out over so many years. It's that pattern recognition, which is the real uh, leverage that comes with the niche. Mm -hmm. Uh, Related to that, what are the core services that you offer, Dennis, with HDA Accounting Group? It's it's three. Um, First is the, I call it monthly accounting. Sometimes it's referred to as bookkeeping. It it means the same thing. And we've got to have data. We have to track the data so we know what's going on. So every dollar that moves in and out of the practice, we categorize code, reconcile, prepare. And so we have data to work with. And I think, so that's step one, 
you know, we have to have timely, accurate data constantly prepared. And then our monthly deliverable is not a profit and loss and balance sheet. Now, you know, the CPI, I love those things, but they don't really serve up what, what can, can be helpful, I think, for a practice owner. So our monthly deliverables are practice profitability analysis. It's a full color dashboard style report that aggregates data uh, to, to what I think you really need to know. And I think this, my, my background lends itself to this because as a pilot, you know, if you're going to do a complex mission, sitting through a couple hours of briefing, well, once you're in the cockpit flying, you got a little kneeboard card <laughs> that has like all like that. That's it. That's all you have. So you get really good at sort of aggregating data on like, this is all noise. This is what I really need to know. And that's how I, I wrote our report, our practice profit analysis is it, it just serves up what you need to know. Um, so that's step one. Our clients have data. The second thing is that advising role, because I think a lot of tax practitioners, a lot of CPAs, accounting firms are very tax oriented. They fast forward. They just go directly to tax because p- people care about tax, you know, um, and it is important. But I think we skip a step if we do that, because step one should be let's make a huge pile of money first. You know, when you have a practice there has to be adequate profit. Otherwise, why do it? Why go get a loan? Why, why go through this, this startup process or acquisition process if it's not worth it at the end of the day? And that's profit margin. So do the books, make sure we have adequate profit, second. And third, of course, is tax. Tax planning, tax savings. The goal there is we don't want to leave any money on the table for the government, but we also we're working on it year round because the worst thing that can happen tax-wise is, you know, find out in March you owe money that it's the first you've ever heard of it. That's like the cardinal sin. And we just, we invest substantial resources in trying to avoid that at all costs. So to, Interesting. So to, to back up a step, what are, how have you, I guess, iterated or evolved or pared down the sort of standard profit and loss statement into a more specific uh, key metrics that a dentist wants to look at? So I think it, it rather than paring it down, it's more of it, it's more about combining data, because and this is where we get into a little accounting one on one. There, there's no single financial statement that just tells you what's going on. Uh, people tend to gravitate towards a profit and loss because it's so intuitive to read. You got revenue, less expenses is your net income, but that leaves out so many big ticket items related to cash. And that is your assets, your liabilities, and your equity. And those over on the balance sheet. And that is a much less intuitive statement. On top of that, you have your statement of cash flows, right? And so all three of those statements interact and relate to one another. And as CPAs, we we get all that. We can we can, we understand that relationship. Your your practice owner gets a set of financial statements from an accountant. They're only they're really only going to look at the PL and it tells half the story. So to answer your question, you know, we pick and choose, we we blend data. So like on page one of our profit uh, analysis, I've got PL data, I've got balance sheet data. And I even have some data that most accounts don't even care about. And that is what I ask for from the practice is I want to know from their dentrix or their open dental, you know, what's your accounts receivable look like? What was your production last month? These are things that most tax people don't care about because all of our clients pay tax on, if you're an S corp, a partnership or sole proprietor, you pay tax personally. Nobody cares about your AR. 
Well, I put AR on the front page of our report because if a profit margin is low, you know, most of the time people wonder, well, where am I overspending? Mm-hmm. But I, I think more often than not, they're just not collecting. They got a problem with their collection process. And the way you identify that is you you look at the AR aging and what does it look like now and what did it look like a couple months ago? You know, is do you have money that's starting to pile up in AR? So those are so I sample data. So, you know, there is a lot of PL data on there. Mm-hmm. We'll put some balance sheet data. So for, and what I'm talking about there is your loan payment. You know, that full loan payment's not deductible, the interest expenses, but the principal portion's not. That gets lost on the balance sheet, but it's a very hard cash requirement. So if you're trying to think about what's the break-even point on a practice, what is the operating, like what does it cost just to be open? Mm-hmm. You, you can go to the PL and look at total expense. Right. That'll, that'll get you pretty darn close. But that only includes if the books are being done properly, that will just include the interest on the loan. And it could be the bulk of that payment goes to loan principal. That's a very hard, predictable cash requirement that you have to make. But if you omit that because you're only looking at the PL, your break even is going to be understated. So that's that's kind of what I what we try and do on the report is, is pull out the relevant data and serve it up. So it, it's very quick to read and, and it's meaningful. It's like the real numbers because we're we're picking the data from all sources not just a single financial statement that's only measuring revenue and expense. So in there, you hit on accounts receivable and sort of issues there being a lot of times in your experience, one of the things that will reduce profitability. I think that probably perked up uh, a few people listening's ears if they're a dentist. Could you touch on that a little bit more and go a little bit deeper there? Absolutely, because it's a really important topic. And I'll just tell you some of the stories I've heard over the years. we just I just bought the practice. The front desk person's been here 20 years. They know everybody in town and they feel sorry for the patient. So they don't make them pay when they check in and check out. Like I've heard that. Or I thought we we're sending out statements, but nobody's been doing it for the last three months. Or uh, it's a startup practice. They hired the quote unquote insurance you know, guru employee. And it turns out they padded their resume, didn't have a clue what they were doing, and didn't find about, out about it for 90 days. And there's been no money coming in on a startup. So those are just some samples of what I've heard, what, what can manifest very quickly into a collection problem. At the end of the day, if, if we're paying for that production, but it does not ultimately turn into a collection, you know, the staff are still getting paid, the overhead's getting paid, the profit is where it comes up short. And so... Um, that, that's why I just, it, you have to look at the AR and have some idea about if a practice is collecting money or not, if we want to have a real understanding if the profit margin is acceptable. One of the advantages I would think with over 500 dental owner clients is that you probably have a pretty good sample size of uh, data to work with in terms of comparables to every dentist that you sit down with. And I guess, how does that fit in with accounts receivable? And then from there, everything else. So the AR is just practice by practice. And and, and how we get that is we actually, we ask the clients to send that to us. We don't actually get into their dentrix or their open dental. They'll send us those reports. Usually an admin staff person will just send send it to us. Um, That's really kind of unique to practices. Um, Like ortho AR is going to look very different from general AR. So a lot of times if we're going to diagnose 
the profit margin with AR. That, that involves a conversation that, that we have on the phone. Now, on the other financial data, um, the reports we prepared do not come from QuickBooks. QuickBooks is a great place to keep thing organized, keep everything organized, but the reports are they're generic. There's not a whole lot you can do with them. So we have a separate software that syncs data out of QuickBooks. And what this software allows us to do is aggregate that data every time we sync so that when on our benchmark analysis, when we're looking at dental supplies, lab fees, ortho implant supplies, total non-doctor staff cost, rent, associate expense, hygiene expense, like it, it, it updates that aggregation every time. And so our primary measurement on that report is a trailing three-month average. So on our report, in the blue column <laughs> is our client average also in that trailing three months. Mm. So we can see in real time, what, what's the industry average based on our sample size of 500 coast to coast. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of times those stay pretty fixed, but they, they move around particularly with COVID. Um, so it's very good to be able to just assess very quickly, you know, do we have any outliers in certain expense categories? So you're, collecting the data and you're delivering your proprietary uh, profitability uh, analysis every month to the dentist that's a client. And then with your service, what do you think is a, or I guess, how do you guys approach, you know, sitting down and checking in actually more face-to-face or I guess computer screen to computer screen in today's day and age? You know, even... You know, even pre-COVID, you know, everything was very much office-based. Like I, most of our client interactions were were phone and or webinar, just because nobody, you know, in Denver, Metro Denver, nobody nobody wants to drive across I twenty five. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we, we can be have very productive call, you know, very very quickly. Um, so our our interactions, it's really up to the the doctor. Um, like my calendar, all of my partner's calendars, it's all public on our, on our website. So anything is on anybody's mind that they can either set a time to talk or shoot an email and we'll get something scheduled. I think a, a very, like a reasonable uh, frequency to keep track of the practice numbers about every three months, you know, month to month. I, I've done that with clients where we have a monthly meeting, but that that lasts a couple months, and then it's like things don't necessarily change. Like there's not always different action items. So, about every three months is a good time to sit down and analyze what's happening. And I tend to like with our startup clients or first time owners, that that frequency is more common. On the other side of the spectrum, we have clients that have had their practice twenty years. They get our reports every month. They know how to read them, and they're just like. Morgan, I'll let you know, you know, if I, if I need a sounding board or want to run something by you. So we kind of, we leave it up to the client as, as much as they want to interact. We don't charge for any of this. It's all part of, part of what we do. Um, but, but it's unlimited support essentially, uh, as much or as little as the doctor wants. So your, your service offering and the model is just, is one package for one, one. owner doc? one package. So yeah, it's a fixed rate. And we base the rate on just the size of the practice. Obviously there's a difference between like a startup and a $2 million office, you know, but we, we really try to have the, the fee very predictable, very fixed and um, not to pick on my attorney friends, but you know, if we have a phone call, the meter's not running, uh, I'll help, you know, they don't get a bill for that. So more of the uh, just monthly uh, fixed fee model. Yeah, than, you got okay. you got it. Yeah, that's the only way to do it, in my opinion. So, 
I'm interested in, in, in how you sort of navigate being the bad cop at times because people are paying you because they want to be as, as profitable, as efficient as possible. Mm-hmm. And you know, the reason they've hired you is because they're not. And so mm-hmm. how do you navigate giving bad news? It, yeah. And sometimes that probably can get uncomfortable. You know, you, you know, dental or dentistry is very familial. You can yeah. have uh, family members that are on staff. <laughs> right? How do you navigate so, all that? I try. So I it kind of think I, I had a call this morning with a client and it's a husband and wife. The, the wife is the clinician. The husband's the business manager and their profit margin was too low. Um, they have a full-time associate along with the wife and, and the profit margin, you know, it's kind of low 20s. And I, I think it ought to be high 20s, even 30 based on their situation. And so I, I just try to be very objective. So step one, like we sit down to talk. I say, look, this is where we are. This is where I think it was the totally reasonable. We could expect to have your profit at this level, but it's right here. So what's keeping it there? And then I just go through the the, the the two factors impacting profit, there's expense, their staff costs are high, but it, like everybody, you know, the, the hygienists want 50 bucks an hour and, you know, it's just hard to find people. So we can't necessarily go change the staffing model. The only way to, in that case, the only way to fix staff costs is to collect some more money. So then we got talking about the AR and the AR had problems. And then we get talking and guess what? Uh, the they most of their patients were on a particular insurance provider and they they changed something which caused about a 90 day delay in collections the insurance company changed yeah. something okay yeah and so they and they he already knew about that he's using e-assist to help kind of get that all all sorted out but that that was the diagnosis there so that that's how i go about it you know let's just be objective and look at it and at the end of the day, let, let's be helpful and come up with a couple, two, three action items. And I try never to have more than just a couple, two or three. You only have so much time to work on your business. So let, let's spend our time on what matters. In terms of the dynamics, um, mo- like it's seldom an issue. I have, I've had, client, I've had situations where it's a husband and wife team and they get in a huge argument on the phone and it gets a little <laughs> uncomfortable, but that, that doesn't happen very, very often. It's like I said, it's a really good niche. And I think if you just, it, the way I approach is trying to be very objective and helpful. And, and if you say, look, the reason we're, we're talking about this is I'm trying to put more money in your pocket. And if we do these things like that'll happen, like that's all, that turns it into good news, like very quickly. So on the other side of the coin, when it when it is a good problem, when practices are efficient and are as profitable as they should be, and there is free cash flow in the practice, mm-hmm. and then I experience this a lot, and I'm, I'm interested in your take on it as well, uh, then the question becomes what to do with that free cash flow. Do you reinvest mm-hmm. in the practice with more real estate or more equipment or better staff? Do you mm-hmm. accelerate date, debt service within the practice, or mm-hmm. do you kick it out to the personal balance sheet, pay taxes on it? and yep. accelerate debt or invest on the personal side. How do you go about helping uh, yeah. your clients so, navigate all those options? Yeah. Everything up until like you put it, kick it, you know, distribute it and put it on the personal balance sheet, like up everything up until then, it's definitely a conversation we'll have. So if there's excess cash flow and we're accumulating cash, you know, we can talk about uh, opportunities. Maybe they don't have a qualified retirement plan yet. 
and like with a 401k, they could start deferring some income from taxation because we say, look, you're, you're saving anyway. Why don't we just go erase over 20 grand off your taxable taxable income right um we don't sell that stuff like if they if they want to go down that route i can get them pointed to a couple providers that'll work with them and then we'll max out the tax advantages so that we could look at that we could look at retiring debt and i always recommend whether you use us or, or someone else if you're thinking about retiring business debt early like talk to your advisor because what can sting people is if they don't fully grasp that principal payments made paid back to the bank or non-deductible mm. like that. So when you pay, so say, say there's an equipment loan hanging out there and you're just sick of it. And I got some extra cash laying around and it's 30 grand to just retire this loan and have it done with. So when you write that check to 30 grand to kill that loan, you still owe full federal state income tax on that 30 grand. There's no deduction. So you only want to retire business debt if you're feeling pretty flush so if debt reduction is a strategy, some people just really don't like it and want to get rid of it. So let, let's talk about it ahead of time. If they're student loans or personal debt, my advice is distribute it and extinguish that first because that's just an albatross around everybody's neck. Most of our clients make way too much money to have any student loan interest deduction. So just get rid of that, at least with the business debt, the interest expense is fully deductible. You're getting at least some help. With that debt. So we have, we'll have those discussions. Sometimes it's hey, let's, uh, my office is plumbed for six ops. I have four. I'm thinking about doing the other two. I don't really need them yet, but I have all this cash sitting around. We're doing pretty well this year. Yeah, we could look at the timing and say, maybe, maybe we should pull the trigger on that this November. All right. That'll help out. And then you have those ready to go. So uh, all those discussions, pretty, pretty normal. Where the line is for me. So once it goes home to the personal balance sheet, like you said, you know, that's where it, it, it exits my area of expertise. So we, mm. we do not do the financial planning. I, I don't, we don't manage assets, I'm not going to pick the stocks. Um, like the, at that point, they need, uh, a, in my opinion, a professional financial advisor, or sometimes people are pretty savvy at doing it themselves. But once it goes to the personal side, then, then that's up to, to them and, and whichever advisor they choose to for the investments on the personal side. But up until when it leaves the business, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have any discussion they want to have on what the options are with that extra cash. And those are good problems to have, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the goal is to have <laughs> yeah, that problem. Right. 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 So um, I think we're, we're, I think that kind of leads us into the overall income tax planning and, mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you go about helping your dentist clients be proactive about that as opposed to reactive yeah. as it relates to income tax planning? So income tax planning in our niche is it's definitely the most challenging thing we do because as we all know in our, in the dental industry, revenue changes every month, expenses change every month. It's a very equipment heavy industry. And so if somebody finally pulls the trigger on that new CEREC machine they've been dreaming about in November, like that can completely change a tax situation overnight. So the tax, you know, and forecasting and anticipating the tax liability, it's a, it's a very dynamic and it's a moving target. So the only way to approach that is you, you just have to look at it during the year. And so our goal is to look at it four times a year. And we, we kind of line that up quarterly. And um, the idea is with tax planning is twofold. 
there's a number of tax strategies that can and should be executed every year to help avoid as much tax as possible. And then the second step is just being made aware of what that tax situation is as we go so that we can take care of that tax liability via tax deposits kind of in small chunks and that avoids the big checks at the end of the year. The big, yeah. The yeah. six figure one. At the end. Yeah. We don't like, nobody likes that. Not your accountant hates that as much as like, we don't, we don't want to have those calls. So we're looking at it um, during the year. Um, along with the tax planning, I, I, let, let me say this because it, it's really important and it's just how, what the tax strategy looks like. So there, in my opinion, there's some unscrupulous providers. And I see them kind of my Facebook feed going through there sometimes and because <laughs> I'm a CPA and you got this sleazeball saying, you know, oh, you know, only I know the secrets to the tax code, you know, so sign up for my thing and I'll tell you the secrets. And, you know, that is such BS. You know, the Internal Revenue Code is the most researched document in history. Like there are no secrets. There's no obscure structures. There's not like, and and people can, I think, prey on that emotion that there's this one big secret thing out there. And if only I had the account that knew this, the secret. So that that is all total nonsense. Just the FOMO, they're, right? That's what they're. Yeah. <laughs> it's So here's the deal. The way, the way you mitigate a high earner, small business owner mitigates taxes, there's a number of strategies, perfectly viable strategies that, that are, they're well vetted. And it's not like I'm the only one that knows them. Right. Um, but you know, what you want from your CPA advisor, someone will actually help you do them mm. because you got to, you have to do them all each year. They have to be executed and it's a total team sport. You know, we have to do our part to make it available. The doctor has to do their part to actually execute the strategy. Each one of the strategies takes a bite out of that tax. It's not a windfall, but it all helps. And then at the end of the year, if you do them all and you add it up, that's how you get to your big number. So it's some work, it's some teamwork, and it's it's a layered uh, strategy approach to mitigating that tax, that tax liability. And so that's what we're trying to do during the year is make sure we, we're providing the materials and the frankly, the reminders, right? You, hey, you you remember everybody, you have to do this stuff. So you can't just do it on April 14th or October no, 14th. If <laughs> no, no. Uh, and, and a lot of times, you know, the, the doctor actually has to, there, there's action items, you know, that they have to do. And so that, that is a bit, that, that's how the tax is avoided um, is through that multi, ex executing multiple strategies in the aggregate. And then the, the follow on piece to that is once we've done all that, you know, if someone's knocking down six, 700,000 per year, I mean, it doesn't matter, like no matter how you slice it, I mean, there's going to be some tax due. Right. Um, and so when quarterly estimated payments are recommended, it's very important that those are made. Mm. And, and sometimes that can be a challenge because particularly, I'd say that the, 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 th like when that situation can get challenging is a startup practice with just a total rock star dentist, right? So they start their practice and spend half a million bucks getting that thing going. We've got all kinds of tax deductions year one. They're getting money back. They're like, this is great. <laughs> then year two, the practice is still kind of getting going, right? So they like the full tax hasn't really kicked in because they're still, there still might be a few other, they're finishing out those other ops. We've got some deductions there and they're, they're not quite totally rocking and rolling yet. So the tax is pretty minimal. So, so they've had two years of not much tax and they can get lulled into this 
you know, this isn't so blessed. What's everyone talking about? You know, I don't have to. And so then year three comes along and they're just crushing it. They're going to make half a million dollars and they've deducted all their equipment. They don't need their equipment's only two years old. It's not like you need to go buy all new stuff. And so now it's time to pay some high earner, like, like the, the income tax income. And we can still do execute all our strategies, making sure we're taking that bite out. But you figure if you got 500,000 income, you know, if we're able to winnow that down to like a 22, 23% effective federal tax rate, that's some pretty good tax planning. But that still means it's like 100,000 in tax. And that can be just shocking for some, some people. If they've already pulled the trigger on the new building, the new house. and <laughs> Right. And so we've had that happen. And, you know, we, we learn too. We're learning all the time. And that, that's like my background I mentioned. Like, and I learned, this is like, I don't know, four or five years ago. It's like, we really, we got to identify these, these rock star startup docs, right? Because what'll happen is you, it, like quarter one rolls around. You're like, you're really crushing. I, you need to send in some money. And they say, they say, oh, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Mm. That, that can't be. That, they'll, they'll figure something out. Quarter two comes along. We're like, you remember, you got to send in some money. It, that can't be. You know, that can't. You know, so then it just kicks the can out. So finally, then you end up with a real hard conversation later in the year. Like, look, it didn't go away. <laughs> you know, you're making half a million dollars. The equipment's depreciated. We've done all this other good work on the tax planning strategies, but you know, the, at the end of the day, there's a, th- there's a line to cross tax avoidance into tax evasion. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't go past that line. So a lot of the tax honestly is, is managing expectations and then talking about it early. Uh, one of my very first skippers in the Navy had a saying, he said, boys, bad news does not improve with age. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that is right. And the same thing is with tax. So right now we're doing third quarter tax planning. And, you know, we have a, we got a number of clients where their, their net profit is seven figures. You know, I mean, they're doing, they're making a lot of money. And so we're, we're talking about that now. We have been talking about it during the year, but third quarter is where we really get into some detailed forecasting because we have year, half a year reconciled data. So yeah, we're on the phone now saying, Hey, we got, seven, eight months to your taxes due. This is what we're looking at. Let's make sure that we execute all these other unchecked boxes on the tax strategies. So, so that's a little, that's probably made the long answer to your, your question there, but, um, but well, that, that's tax planning. It's, it's dynamic. And, and just to clarify that the big problem that you pointed out there was not making quarterly payments along the way. It's it's more about having the liquid cash to pay it all at the end. If you kick the can versus yeah, it's, not, I mean the penalties are I guess are not right. great either. But mm-hmm. being yeah, illiquid it, is the worst problem, right? Yeah, it, it's twofold. You know, the the government the kind of the government's kind of ridiculous, and they <laughs> I say tax, but like they want paid along the way, and they want paid accurately along the way, even though nobody really knows. I mean, think about it. It's May. You ask any practice owner, what, what are you going to collect this year? It's like, well, I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's going to be around a million because that's what we've kind of done that in the past. But it, ultimately, we don't really know with certainty. So, but the IRS wants those tax deposits along the way, and they want them to be accurate. And if they're not, they'll impose under de- under deposit penalties plus interest, which you know aren't. It's not like it's you don't want to pay any money you don't have to but it's it's not like the those payments are are 
um, going to are, are super consequential. We want to avoid them, but to an extent, we want to get those deposits in so we don't trigger those. But to your point, I think is more important. It's the liquidity because if you get to the end of the year and you've not really been keeping track of that and you just pull the trigger on your dream house and come up with a big down payment and now, hey, all those tax payments still need to be made. It can it can create a challenging situation that we all, we, it, everyone wants to avoid. So that's why we're just talking about it all year. This has been really good. I, I, the one thing I just wanted to follow up with before we sort of bring this to a landing is you mentioned some of the small bites along the way. I think that would uh, pique mm-hmm. people's interest. Uh, if you're looking to take little bitty bites and little chunks to try to uh, winnow down the tax bill overall as much as you can. What are high level, a few of those strategies that you help yeah, people with? You know, so m- most important is making sure we have the right tax classification. Um, and, you know, and this one, it's been out there a while. You know, there, there's a reason single owner operated dental practices that are successful and making lots of money. There's a reason they're S-corps. Um, and that is to manage not the income tax burden, but the self-employment payroll tax burden. Mm. That only works if that salary is set at a reasonable level. The Internal Revenue Code does not provide guidance on what is reasonable. So mm-hmm. we have to decide. It has to be high enough because you're doctors, but it's got to be low enough so uh, to, that we can obtain some, some real payroll tax savings. Our goal with our, our average client is you know collecting a million to 1.2, making four or 500,000 per year. Our goal with, with executing the S-Corp strategy correctly is minimum, like we're looking for about 10 grand in savings there. Mm. In there. So that's a, that's a big ticket item. Home office is important. I, I'm so shocked about how many times when I visit with new doctors, they, they tell me, well, my last account says we can't do that. And th- that's not true. I, I, how many dentists that own practices do you know that do some work from home? Like, they all, all of them. <laughs> they all do. There's no reason your S corp can't reimburse you for the cost of the home office. Now that's not a windfall in tax, but it'll save a couple thousand. But here's the key thing about the home office is that when you have a home office formally established properly, and there is a procedure that needs to be done to do that. Now, when you drive from the clinical office to the home office, those are now business miles as opposed to commuting. And that's what unlocks the car as a dental practice owner. You can't just deduct the car because I own a business. You have to have a reasonable basis to determine your business percentage use. And that's mm. the home, that's the home office. And then you can get some, some auto expense, you know, a couple other ones like, and this one sounds silly, but it's like a board meeting, annual board meeting. Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, it's just me. That seems silly. Well, the rules are the rules, you know, you're supposed to have a board meeting. So don't do that at your hometown. Like pick somewhere you want to go, have a nice four or five day trip and write the entire thing off. You want to take your spouse, line one on our sample meeting minutes, names the spouse as an officer of the entity so that their costs are fully deductible as well. We already kind of touched on the 401k, you know, maybe, maybe double dip on the spouse if they're not eligible elsewhere. You know, you can rent your house for, for uh, office meetings. So there, there's a number of strategies like that. You know, each of those by themselves, we're going to take out 10 grand here, three grand here, five grand here. And at the end of the day, we add it all up. Holy cow, that's 40, 50,000 in savings. You know, that's what people are going to be happy with. And, th- and that's how you do it. You got to do all those things. Right. And then it's a pretty good return on the investment to work with uh, your company, right? Right. Yeah. That's the, that's the goal, you know, you know, but, but I also want to, 
I, I want to drive home the fact that it's tax savings is, is big. You know, nobody likes paying more. I don't, you know, all this stuff I'm talking about, I do for me too. But like a, a core mission is that, you know, before we go to work on saving tax, let's make sure we're making as much money as possible too. Because I right. tell you, I really, you know, when I see a practice with, let's say there's one doctor owner operator and they're collecting like 1.5 million per year. Think how hard that dentist is working, right? Mm-hmm. That's a lot. And then I see their profit margins, 26%. Mm-hmm. Like my, I just like, oh no, like this is terrible. Like how hard are they working? And if they had a better profit margin, they're earning the same as somebody that could have maybe collecting less than a million, but they've got like a 45% margin. Think mm-hmm. about, think of the quality of life difference there. So that like a core part of our mission is, you know, we always end up talking about tax because, you know, it, it, it is an important topic, right? And no, nobody wants to pay more, but we really, we got to spend time on that, that first thing. And that is making sure that you're, you're getting an appropriate financial reward for owning a practice because it, it's, it's hard, you know, it's difficult. There's some risk involved, but the upsides are so, when you own a business, the upside is so tremendous. So like our, our mission is to make sure we're, we're, we're capturing that upside with a, a robust profit margin. Well, Morgan, this has all been fascinating stuff, interesting stuff. Thank you for, for sharing your expertise for people that are interested in, in learning more about you and your firm and potentially working together. What's the best way to get in touch with you? Uh, best way, you know, if, uh, if, if someone wants us to take a peek at my calendar and set a time, it's on our website. It's hdagroupdental.com. Um, there's a contact us button, initial consult that puts you right to me, or if they just want to email me, um, it is Morgan at HDA group dental.com. You know, we can set up a time to chat learn more about the situation. Um, if a dentist owns the practice or they're thinking about owning the practice, whether a they have a project going for startup or they're really thinking about, you know, buying a practice, I can help with due diligence along the way. If someone is thinking about a startup and just wondering what kind of entity they should have going and what some things to think about in that process, that's I've done that for years. I'm always happy to help. So those are the two best ways to contact me. That is Morgan Hammond, CPA and president of HGA Accounting Group. Morgan, thank you for sharing your expertise and for being a guest on the Practice Growth Podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Carroll Advisors, LLC is a registered investment advisor. The information presented should not be interpreted or construed as investment, legal, tax, financial planning, or wealth management advice. It does not substitute for personalized investment or financial planning from Terrell Advisors, LLC. This podcast conveys the views and opinions of Sean Terrell, and the information herein should not be considered a solicitation to engage in a particular investment or financial planning strategy. Information presented is for educational purposes only, and past performance is not indicative of future results.